Welcome to Lompoc Foursquare Church's podcast. Enjoy the message. I want to talk to you a little bit today as we conclude this series, Hope in the Dark. And here's my title of my message, The Future. Yeah. Somebody said, the future is filled with so much ambiguity, I can't even see it. Well, I get that. There's a lot of things that are uncertain and unclear. For some of us, life is moving fast. For some of us, this has been an extremely slow season, especially you moms and dads and grandmas and grandpas and guardians who are helping your kids with homeschooling. You never thought you'd be a homeschooler, some of you. Now, some of you are homeschool parents. This is easy for you. Yeah, same old, same old, kind of. But after a while, you, you, you go, wow, how long will this be? This one mom emails me every few days, and she says, be praying for me, Pastor B. I said, I do. He has four children, all in elementary school. And they're all with their Chromebooks. They've been online. They're learning uh, together. And uh, she said, it's really great when all four of them have to get online at the same time. And then I try to do FaceTime with some of my friends. The Wi-Fi in the house can't handle the bandwidth. It just won't, won't work for them. So I thought, isn't that a new season, right? Well, some have been wanting to go on trips. Some have been wanting to, to get back at it and travel for work. Somebody sent me a text the other day. I finally got my stimulus check. And I said, do you feel stimulated? They said, well, we just use it to pay bills. Someone else said they got their stimulus check. They're putting it in the bank waiting for a day that they can go on a little trip. And somebody else texted me and said, I'm waiting for my boss to call me back to work. I can't wait to go back and work again. So wherever you find yourself, I want to remind you that patience is one of the hottest commodities right now, just to be patient. Habakkuk chapter 2, verse 3, Habakkuk said, while he was wondering and waiting on God, the vision will still happen at the appointed time It hurries towards its goal, and it won't be a lie. If it's delayed, wait for it. It will certainly happen, and it won't be late. This last week, it was Tuesday morning, I I woke up. I'd done my devotions at home and uh, just getting ready to come down to the office. I was just filled with so much optimism. I mean, hope was rising in my heart. I was just Wow, this is a great day, the day the Lord's made. I'm going to rejoice, and it's easy to rejoice because hope was, I mean, it was just like pumping through my veins. And then my phone, three text messages in a row. All of them were negative. All of them. All three. Then I got to the office, I checked my email, and guess what? I had a slew of emails, and all of them were discouraging emails. I thought, what happened to the hope that God just planted in my heart a few minutes ago, and I had to push back everything. Now, the text messages were important because they were tied to people. The emails were tied to people. Everything mattered to someone, and therefore it mattered to me. But I chose in that moment to say, I'm not going to allow the hope that God placed in my soul to leak out. It was a choice on my part, and it's a choice on your part as well. You know what we learned about in this series is that the promises of God is what we build our hope upon. And I want to submit to you the promises of God is what we're going to base our future on as well. A student of the Bible, you may remember me sharing this, spent one and a half years 
going through the entire scriptures to look for the promises of God. And he came up with this, 7,487 promises God made to humanity. Unending, unbending promises. So never underestimate how God can use the power of hope in your life and how God can use the power of a promise to build that hope and to fuel that hope. As we started this series, we used this following passage, and wherever you are, I just ask you to read it with me, 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 4, and here's what it said. Let's read it. God made great and marvelous promises so that his nature would become part of us. Then we could escape our evil desires and the corrupt influences of this world. See, it's through the promises of God that we see the heart of God. And his nature becomes a part of us as we understand God's heart and God's nature through his promises. And here's a promise I want to give you today. It comes from Haggai chapter 2, verse 9. And it reads this way. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house. The glory of the present house will be greater than the glory of the former house. See, God's plans for your future are bright. He knows what tomorrow brings. He knows what next year brings, five years from now will bring. And I want to rattle your cage a little if you would allow me to do that. Some of you may be feeling like your best days are behind you. You're getting older and you go, well, I don't have the stamina I used to have or the brain power I used to have. Huh? Don't you think God knows the number of your days? The Bible says he does. Don't you think God knows about your tomorrows? I believe he's already walked through them. So I want to just challenge you a little bit for you and for those of us that call Lompoc Foursquare our church home. You know, this church has been here this year, this year, 80 years, 8-0. Lots of people have come to know Christ through the ministry of the church. Lots of people have been baptized in water, filled with the Spirit, delivered, transformed. Marriages have happened here. I mean, child dedications, you name it. 80 years of strong ministry in our community. And I'm going to make a proclamation. The future is going to be better than our past. Wow. Now, pastor, we, we've, we've bought some property in the past. We built some buildings in the past. We've expanded the church ministry, not only in our community, but in our county and literally around the world. Are you saying tomorrow will be better? Absolutely. I believe this promise is for us. The glory of this present house, the, the present day we're walking in, even into our future, will be greater than the glory of the former house. You know, this week, um, we filled our church van with food. Many of uh, uh, you brought food to us, and, and some of that we've given away to people, and we had a whole church van load full of uh, non-perishable food items that we took to the Lompoc Food Pantry. Uh, this week, we provided another great lunch for our Lompoc Police Department. I mean, it was great. Day shift got to eat, night shift got to eat, great stuff. We also provided another dinner for the Lompoc Fire Department. And some things that we have done as a church and that I've done as a pastor, I'm not at liberty to share with you, but you can trust me to know they're the DNA of LFC, to love and serve people beyond our walls. 
And recently, as I said last week, we sent a sizable donation to the Philippines to help people there. And then uh, this week, along with our giving outside our walls, missionaries were supported around the world. Now, just think about all that we've done and all that we're doing. But you know what? We're going to do more in the future because God is with us. Now, as we look at Haggai 2 and this promise of God that the future will be better than the past, let me tell you how the story began. And it began when, it's the first point today, God's priorities became the people's priorities. Where God's priorities became the people's priorities. I had a dear friend, an old preacher, and he used to always say this, almost every time he'd preach, when you take what's nearest God's heart and put it nearest your heart, then God takes what's nearest your heart and puts it nearest his heart. When you take the priorities of God and make them the standard by which you live, then God says, I I can bless that. Now, what you need to know for background, the temple was ransacked. The Israelites were taken into captivity 70 years. And after 70 years, they, they, they lost hope, but all of a sudden, hope started to rise in their lives. See, God turned the heart of King Cyrus towards the Israelites and then turned the hearts of the Israelites towards Jerusalem to get back to the priority of rebuilding the temple of God. The king released the people and funded their 900-mile journey. It was 538 B.C., before Christ. Some people are already using B.C. before COVID, but back to the story. 50,000 Jews made the 900-mile trek to Jerusalem for one thing to make the priority of God their priority, to rebuild the temple. And we find their story in Ezra chapter 3, verse 1 to 3, where the prophet says, when the seventh month came and the Israelites had settled in their towns, the people assembled together as one in Jerusalem. Then Joshua, the son of Josadak, and his fellow priests, and Zerubbabel, the son of the son of Shealtiel, there's a great name for you, and his associates began to build the altar of God, the God of Israel, to sacrifice burnt offerings on it. And they did this in accordance with what was written in the law of Moses, the man of God. And despite their fear of the people around them, but let me stop for a moment. Despite the fear of the people around them, the naysayers, those who would come against them, Those who would say, you shouldn't be wasting your time building the temple. And fear for their lives, where people might actually fight them and try to kill them. They moved forward and pressed ahead. Here's a little parenthetical stop for you. Where are you trying to move forward and make the priorities of God your priority, and someone's trying to tell you no? Something's trying to hold you back. Could it be fear? Could it be just just anguish? Could it be a disappointment from the past that you carry into your present? Could it be a discouragement? What were they building? The temple of God. Why? Because they built the altar on its foundation and sacrificed burnt offerings on it to the Lord. So when they sacrificed, their sins could be forgiven because this was the law of the day and that God could be worshipped, both the morning and the evening sacrifices. Negativity. 
opposition, fear. And after a few years, they began to grow weary. They got tired. Galatians 6.9 reminds us, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not, what? You could say it where you are, if we do not give up. And so the people of Israel started to give up on building the temple. They were tired. And for 16 years, 16 years, they stopped building the temple. They stopped making the priority of God their priority. And they started inward focus. See, when we drift from God, it's usually because of opposition, fear, or an inward focus where life becomes all about me. All the arrows point inward instead of outward. And the second thing I want you to see is that God's priorities became unimportant to the people. Unimportant. They started building their own homes paneling their houses, putting in crown molding, putting in shiplap, putting in granite countertops. They started making sure that everything was right in their homes. Now, listen, I'm not against you bettering yourselves. I'm not against you remodeling your house if you can afford it. I'm not against you getting a new car. I'm not against you getting an education and moving forward in your education. All of that's great. But here's what I'm going to encourage you to do. Always keep the priorities of God first. Because when the priorities of your life and bettering yourself, taking care of your family, your kids, your grandkids, becomes the priority of your life, God seems to get shoved down. And he's at the bottom of the list instead of being at the top of the list. So for 16 years, they focused on themselves. Can you imagine what the construction site looked like? If you've ever seen an abandoned construction site, the developers and investors have run out of money. We've had some around our region here where that happened. Or maybe the permits weren't right, and they, the city or the county stopped them from work. And pretty soon the weeds start to grow up above the forms and the foundations. And some of the piles of construction material are there. The sand is now washed away from the rain. And you know what happens at a construction site that's abandoned? People steal stuff. It's true. And I could imagine people walked in and took some things for the temple and used it on their own homes. The priority of God had now become diminished. They built their homes. They built their businesses. And they grew more and more. And here's the key. Miserable each day. Miserable. You see, when God is first, life works best. When God is the Lord of your life, the Lord of your family, the Lord of your, your business and your finances and, and your future, life works best. So over in Haggai chapter 1, verses 4 to 11, we find these words, and the word of the Lord came to the prophet Haggai, is it a time for you yourselves to be living in your paneled houses while the house of God remains a ruin? Now, this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. Let me just challenge you this morning. Wherever you find yourself right now, and a lot of you are just following after God through this pandemic season, and thank God for that, that you're following Him. But the question still needs to be asked. It's a self-assessment question. Give careful thought to your ways. 
Look at how you're doing. No one knows how you're doing more than God, and number two, more than you. How are you really doing? How are you following his ways? Because God warns them to the prophet, you planted much, but you're only harvesting little. You, you eat, but you're never, you're never full. You never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You put on clothes, but they just don't seem right. And you're not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. And this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. He repeats it again. And now... Go up into the mountains. In other words, you're focused down here in the valley on your homes. Turn around. Kind of like repentance. Turn around. Go the other way. Go up in the mountains and bring down timber and build my house. Well, no wonder they were tired. I mean, build, going up and getting timber was hard. You know, they didn't have chainsaws. They didn't have diesel trucks and flatbeds and skip loaders. And it was all done by hand. God said, I want you to build my house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored. As I was studying this message, I was asking God this question about my own life. Lord, do you take pleasure in me? Are you honored by my thoughts, by my words, by my actions? You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house which remains in ruin, while each of you are busy doing your own thing, taking care of your own place. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains, on the grain, the new wine, the olive oil, and everything else that uh, the ground produces on people and livestock and on all the labor of your hands. Now, can I take this passage and say, when God is first, your work will flourish. When God is first and you put your finances in order, God seems to bless those finances beyond what you could do in your own wisdom, even with the best financial planners. God does what we can't do when we make sure that we put God first in our life. We have a good group of people um, that meet on Thursday night in a learning cohort. We're a part of the New Hope Christian College Biblical Leadership Courses. Some of the finest people that you'll ever meet are a part of our, our New Hope Christian College uh, course. And, it, and it's great. We have a great time learning together. Uh, this week, there was a story that was told by Pastor Wayne Cordero, who was uh, in instructing us on leadership. And he tells a story about a man who goes to heaven and asks God this kind of a question. He says, God, who was the best evangelist, the greatest evangelist of all time? And God looked at the man and said, Joe Henderson. He said, Joe Henderson? You mean my neighbor, Joe? Yeah, that guy. Oh, no way. He used to be in my youth group when I was a teenager. That guy, he's like a misfit, Joe Henderson? Yeah. Are you sure, God? The greatest evangelist of all time? Absolutely, God said. Huh. Well, the man in heaven thought maybe he'd mentioned somebody like D.L. Moody or maybe Charles Spurgeon or maybe Billy Graham. Joe Henderson? Yeah. So the man asked God, tell me why Joe Henderson? He says, oh, oh, oh. 
I put the seeds and the potential inside the heart and the mind of Joe Henderson to be the greatest evangelist of all time. But Joe, because of fear, never lived out his calling. Wow. But when I heard that story, I began to ask questions about my own life. I think you should do that for your life too. Consider your ways. Be careful. Give careful thoughts to your ways. What has God put inside of you that you've yet to discover? What dreams has God placed in your heart that you've yet to realize? What calling has God put deep inside your soul that, well, for whatever reason, you're plodding along, doing your thing, but you're not making it a priority for God? Here's the challenge. What has God designed for you? See, if we push away from God and drift away from God and we make our ways more important than His ways and our thoughts more important than His thoughts, we will plant much but harvest little. We will eat but never be satisfied. We'll put on clothes that won't feel right. We'll never be warm. Something will always be missing. When God is not first in your life, something will always be missing. Tithing will become tipping. Prayer will become a simple quote here and there. The Bible will be less and less valuable all the time. And you will stand up and say, I know how to live my life. It was a while back I spoke with a young man who used to serve the Lord. He got caught up in, well, not so great living. He started drifting from God. He became addicted to drugs. He started uh, lying and conniving. I mean, anything he could do to, to get some money to, to further his habit. And I remember having a moment just talking to him outside of Starbucks. I bought him a coffee and a, I think it was a cheese Danish, if I remember right. And I said, hey, what are you doing? And right away he became defensive. I know what I'm doing. I mean, he raised his voice. I know what I'm doing with my life. You Christians, and he started blaspheming the Christians. And I said, I'm sorry. Yeah, some of us Christians, well, even me, we're hypocrites. Hypocrites. You, you confess that you're a hypocrite? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Hypocritus, it means to make two promises. I tell God, I'm going to give you my life, lock, stock, and barrel. And then I move over here. I promise something else to myself or to someone else. Hypocritus, two, two promises. Said, yeah, all Christians are hypocrites. We never live what we say we're going to live. Boy, that kind of diffused his argument. And he started to tell me how, how great life was. But I could see in his eyes. I could look right into his soul and know, like the people of Israel who turned away from God, he was miserable. And he started questioning what he might become. He started wondering if there was hope for him. I looked right in his eyes and said, there's hope for you, man. You can get clean and sober. You can, you can, you can do it. And as he turned away, he said, thanks for talking to me. Thanks for the coffee. Thanks for the, for the Danish. Hmm. Yeah. And I asked him this question. What should you do? He said, well, and I won't use the expletives he used, but I should probably blank, 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 and get myself together. I said, yes, you should, and you can. Oh, he took another step further. 
And I said, but what will you do? And he says, I don't know. There's a lot of people out there. They know what they should do. What will they do? Your life is a terrible thing to waste. So is mine. A church, terrible thing to waste. That's why we're believing and pressing into the future, saying, God, we want to put you first. We want to make you first in our life. We want to do what, what number three says, place God's priorities at the top of your life. God, you are too important, too valuable, too grace-filled, too loving for me to live life on my own terms. Your ways are better than mine. Your future is better than mine. And like the old chorus says, break my heart with what breaks yours. You know, Jesus picked up the same theme in Matthew 6, where he said, but seek first the kingdom of God. Make God and his kingdom a priority and follow after his righteousness. Do what you know is right in the eyes of God. And all these things will be added to you. See, the Israelites started building their own places and were miserable. They got it backwards. Take care of God's house, God's principles, God's priorities first. Then work your tail off, and life will go well with you. God first. Seek first the kingdom of God. And what did Jesus say? That all the things you long for will be added unto you. You don't find those things by drifting away from God. You don't find them by sitting on your couch and saying, I know all that there is to know. No one can teach me. Nobody can show me anything. Ah, now that's called pride. And it lives in all of us, some more, some less. To where we say, God, I want to follow your ways. Nobody knows it all. Well, except for God. And God wants to teach you and train you. And he tells the children of Israel, I want you back on track. Go up on the mountains, Haggai 1.8, and bring down the timber and build my house. Turn your life around. Could that be a word for somebody today? Maybe you're watching this and turn my life around. Yeah, okay, when's he going to be done? Well, in a few minutes I will. But you're not done. and God's not done with you. Or you would say, I'm going to turn my life around. I'm going to become all that God intended for me to be. I'm going to give up my pride. I'm going to give up my own ambitions and desires. I'm going to give up my addictions. And I'm going to follow hard after God. You might be sitting there going, man, you sound like you're preaching. Absolutely. Because your life is important. Your life is valuable. And speaking from my heart, stop making life. Stop even making your service about you. Because God wants you to give him first place. Jesus never crosses his arms. But his arms, like when he was on the cross, are always open to welcome any one of you at any time. Jesus tells a story about a prodigal. The son, remember, he went to his father and says, I want my inheritance. <laughs> Dad says, I'm not dead yet. <laughs> the boy says, I'm not going to wait. I'm gonna, I want it now. And so his dad gives him his inheritance. And the boy goes out and wild living, riotous living, he puts himself above anything that would be godly or righteous. And his all friends show up because they all want to party. And I'm sure whatever 
drink of the day or drug of the day was the drug of choice. These guys were partying, having a great time. And this young man ends up with no friends. He squandered all his money. And he's in a mud slew with the pigs, trying to steal apples from the pig's mouth. And Jesus tells us the summary of the story in Luke 15, 16. He says, no one gave him anything. There was no family enablers around anymore. No friends. But I love this line. When he came to his senses. Isn't that great? When he came to his senses. When we come to our senses, we're going to say, God, I need you. I need you, Lord, more than anything else. And when we're asking the questions, what will the future hold? Well, the Israelites asked that question. In Haggai 2, 3 to 9, through the prophet Haggai, he answers it. Is there anyone here who saw the temple the way it used to be, all glorious? And what do you see now? Not much, right? Well, get to work, God said. God is speaking. Get to work, all you people. God is speaking. Yes, get to work, for I'm with you. Put into action the word I covenanted with you when you left Egypt. I'm living and breathing among you right now. Don't be timid. Don't hold back. By the way, I own all the silver. I own all the gold. Don't worry. I've got this under control. This temple is going to end up far better than it started out. A glorious beginning but an even more glorious finish. I love that. A place in which I will hand out wholeness and holiness. See, God is always in the business of writing a new story for each of us. But here's the key lesson. You need to put him first. Don't fight with him. The children of Israel were asking, is there any way this temple could be be like Solomon's temple that was destroyed? It was so beautiful, so amazing. But God said, this one will be better. The glory of the latter house, the present house, will be better and greater than the glory of the first. Haggai 2.9. The glory of the present house will be greater than the glory of the former house. And in this place, oh, I love this, I will grant peace declares the Lord Almighty. In what place? In your place. Right here in your heart. God will grant peace. In our gatherings together, whatever they look like and whenever they will happen, God will grant his peace. See, God doesn't have to rely on the past to give you a preferable future. He doesn't even have to write the future story with past history. He doesn't have to. He can start fresh even now. As the Apostle Paul says, when we give our lives to Christ, we become new creatures. Change your thinking. People say, oh, I don't have the grace of God. Stop saying that. Start believing. Oh, the best is yet to come. Sounds like a bunch of hype. Let's change it from hype to hope. When God is with us, the best is yet to come. If you're out there today and you have yet to give your life to Christ, I'm certainly not the greatest evangelist who ever lived. But I do have the greatest message, and that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
We sang it today. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And he wants to save your soul. So I'm going to pray a simple prayer. You can repeat these words after me. I, I hope that you will. Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus Christ, Heavenly Father, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Savior of the world, is the Savior of the world. And that by his death on the cross, and that by his death on the cross, he paid the price for my sins. He paid the price for my sins. That whosoever believes on him, that whosoever believes on him would not perish, would not perish, but have everlasting life. Everlasting life. So Jesus, I believe in you. So Jesus, I believe in you. That all you did for me, that all you did for me, and that you rose again from the dead, and that you rose again from the dead. I turn from my own ways. I turn from my own ways. My own priorities. My own priorities. And make your priorities, and make your priorities mine. <laughs> mine. I confess you as Lord of my life. I confess you as Lord of my life. And I will follow you. And I will follow you. Amen. Amen. Well, if today is your day to give your life to Christ and to make his priorities your priorities, or maybe in recent weeks you've done that and you haven't let us know, would you text Decide Jesus, all one word, Decide Jesus to 555-888. We'd love to respond to you. We promise not to bombard you with text messages, but we'd love to send you a free yes packet. Uh, we'll send it to your house if you choose that. Uh, one of our staff can call you if you choose that. And if it fits my schedule, I'd be happy to call you and, and chat with you as well. So go ahead, Decide Jesus to 555-888. And before we close with the final prayer, I would like us to declare this again. It's been our statement for several weeks, how we're building our lives. So wherever you are, even if you're with a bunch of people, go ahead and go for it. If people are in the other part of the house, come on, go for it. Let's say it together. We are building our lives on the promises of God. Because his word is unbreakable, our hope is unshakable. We do not stand on the problems of life or the pain of life. We stand on the great and precious promises of God. Let's say the last part again. We stand on the great and precious promises of God. God's promise is the future will be better and greater than your past. We pray that God's blessing would be upon you, that his peace would be with you, and that you would have the courage to make God's priorities your priorities. We hope you enjoyed today's message. Please visit us at mylfc.com for more information about our church. Thank you so much for listening.